Today is Sanctity of Life Day uh, in the United States, uh, January Sanctity of Life Month in our country. A lot of discussion about what is Sanctity of Life, and uh, an interesting thing occurred to me as I was preparing for this sermon is that uh, people who, who do not like a particular moral stand of Scripture and of conservative Christians will pick up that issue and bring it over into the political arena and then when we talk about it we are politicizing to the extent that they will accuse us of uh, being political in favor of a certain candidate and uh, I guess I'm guilty of that I have for a hundred years more or less gotten the voter guides about how people stand how the various candidates stand on the pro-life issue and have just split my now I, if if you're a if you're a pure democrat uh, you're not going to like this and if you're a pure republican you're not going to like this but you know that we are an equal opportunity offender so uh, i just go down the line and 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 bounce back and forth between the parties and vote for those people who think that when a baby is conceived it is a baby and and i voted that way for years uh, I don't, I don't remember when, but it, it could have been easily 30, 35 years ago that I decided to make that uh, choice. I couldn't find anybody that liked my particular um, socioeconomic programs anyway. There's no, none of them running, so um, let's vote for something that counts in the kingdom of God because my political and socioeconomic ideas are not worth a flip anyway. They are worth almost as little as yours so now the main idea I want to bring to you this morning is God so loves people that what starts out as a cell he wants as a child that that's where we will work from I'm gonna I'm gonna say six things about the Lord from the scripture relating to sanctity of life first of all sanctity of life was instituted by God because only humans reflect the glory of God number two God starts at conception to develop a child number three even when people are not perfect God acknowledges the fact that the one in the womb belongs to him number four what God decides to start he doesn't give us the liberty to decide when to end number five he loves what he sees in the womb although the infant is sinful from the day it's conceived number six God so loves life that he wants everyone on earth to live with him forever so we'll talk about that now I already approached this a little bit but when we when we come to important things we tend to mess with peripheral issues if you're if you're looking to buy a, a house uh, we we start worrying about whether we want a true ranch with full basement true ranch no basement uh, a raised ranch a story and a half with basement a story and a half without a basement two-story with basement two-story without we talk about neighborhoods we talk about school systems but it may be that we are just wishfully thinking 
and can't even begin to afford that. I know the, the realtors among us have to help their clients kind of get real about money and the central issue for a child of God who is trying to walk with the Lord <clears throat> is, is this what the Lord is saying? Number one. Number two, can we afford it? Are we going to have this fabulous house and, and be able to afford one or two meals a day of beans and rice? You know, that, that needs to be faced. Uh, I think uh, the story in Reader's Digest about little boy listening to the preacher say that money is not important in the afterlife because in money there's or in heaven there's no money and he, and the boy uh, whispered to his mom we're in heaven did you hear him we're already in heaven um, I think uh, we, we didn't let's talk let me illustrate this with when we start to get married sometimes we're really worried about uh, the honeymoon and, and shall we spend what we don't have and have a long honeymoon or take what little piddling we have and have a short honeymoon when we really ought to be focused on are we willing to look at this person the rest of their life with them staring at their phone? Or do we know each other well enough to, to actually live together with some sort of harmony and contribute positively to this thing called marriage? Um, a former Hollywood star was noted for saying, sometimes I wonder if men and women really suit each other. Perhaps they should live next door and just visit every now and then. <laughs> we do the same thing with buying a car. And uh, all through the years, I've, I've talked about the way the, sh the slick, shiny paper ads of the slick, shiny sheet metal that comes out somewhere in the fall usually on an annual basis, and boy, do they know how to sell that stuff. And I love that shiny sheet metal. I go into a dealership to get my car serviced, and uh, I always have to make a little circle out through the showroom just to, just to check out the shiny sheet metal. I'm not going to buy a new car. That's not the way I think. Uh, and my wife has been so su supportive of me. You know, I didn't know her well enough to know that whether she needed a big car. I had a big car when we met. And uh, we started talking about a Volkswagen. And that's when they were the bugs that, that I could lift the front end. And uh, the, I was surprised that she was all for that. It was like, whatever you want to do. I was like, I like that. That's, that's my kind of girl and uh, my kind of budget. But uh, the Lord was with me and I did not buy a bug. But anyway, what, what we need to talk about is, do we really need a car? And in almost every case, the, the cheapest car that you can find is the one that you already have. So make sure the Lord is in this. When we, when we start to buy a car, I start really getting serious and praying. I want Eunice to be in prayer. I want her to agree with me because that is a major expenditure. Even if you buy used cars like we do, I don't want a piece of junk. I want one that's got 12,000 miles and is one year old model-wise. And that last number of cars, 
that we have bought have been like that, but I still want the Lord's guidance. So let's stay with the central thing. And when it comes to, uh, to what the Lord says, I'm reminded of the story that is, that is old, but I just have to use it again. Um, major League Baseball player hit a long, long, long ball so far out that the left fielder couldn't get it. Left fielder couldn't get it, and <laughs> this, this left. And uh, the bases were loaded, and the guy from second base made it all around home. But when he did, the ball was just about arriving, and he collided with the catcher. And so his, his team and, and his fans were, were saying, he's safe, he's safe, he's safe. And the, the oppose, opposing team and, and their fans were saying, he's out, he's out, he's out. And the old uh, umpire said, uh, he ain't nothing till I call him. So the issue about sanctity of life is really not whether... I feel this way or you feel this way. How does God feel? What is the will of God? So I'm not going to call it. You shouldn't call it. God calls it. And let's just look in the Bible and, um, and see what he says. Number one, sanctity of life was instituted by God because only humans reflect the glory of God. Genesis 1, and 28 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There we see the picture. And man, though the last, the last thing God created has priority as far as importance is concerned. There are people that don't want you to, to cut down a tree because, after all, uh, we all evolved from the same one cell. And they don't want you to shoot um, game because, after all, we're just on different places in the evolutionary scale. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. And God put that stuff all under us. We must be very wise very careful, very conservative in dealing with this stuff that God put in our hand, but it is ours to manage under God. See, we have politicized that. That's a political statement in the minds of so many people. Now, the scripture is pretty clear about this, but uh, nonetheless, that's what we do, and uh, that way we can, we can make other people shut up if we don't like their stand because... That's political, and you're just, you, churches can't do that. Well, I don't know what I can do. I know what the Bible says about us, and that's where I am today. So, uh, I, was, I was reading somewhere, uh, somebody thinks that God invented man because he was disappointed in his work in, in making the monkey. But I don't think so. I think uh, man was created in the image of God, and it's a, that's a spiritual thing because God is spirit, and we don't fully understand all this, but the, the wonderful point is that God wants to show the world himself in his creation, and he does that in so many ways. Uh, the glory of creation, I remember 
um, going into the redwood forest in Northern California and uh, looking at those incredibly magnificent and beautiful trees. And, and we drove our car through one of the tree trunks. You, you've seen that picture. If you, you've probably done it yourself because that's a pretty common touristy thing to do. And if you haven't done it, go do it. It's worth seeing. God's creation shows his glory. That's fabulous. And uh, it, there's so many things that we can, we can talk about here. The thing about this is that it, you, you must not do an idol because idols can never reflect the glory of God. Mankind reflects the glory of God, but not as a point of worship. So the sanctity of life was instituted by God because only humans can uh, reflect the glory of God. The second statement is God starts at conception to develop a child. Psalm 139.13 and following reads, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven, woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days are ordained for me. Let me read that correctly. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's, that's kind of nice, isn't it? The Lord, the Lord knew you. He knows everything. And he knew you were coming. And uh, he had a plan for you. We teach that all the time here. That we need, we're not saved by works. But we have good works to do. We were saved to do them. And those works were prepared before the foundation of the world. And here is a picture of the scriptural attitude toward that. In Jer Jeremiah, the first chapter, this is such a great passage because we get this not only in Jeremiah, but in Moses. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Bef before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And this guy was, was really not uh, a very charming personality, apparently. He had a few friends through a lifetime of heartache and hardship because the message that he preached was anything but palatable to the worldly ears that heard it. He was not a popular preacher. But God called him and told him that he would not be a popular preacher, and he tried to talk the Lord out of it, and the Lord said, no, I did this. I planned this. Stick with me. Um, you, you remember the story of the little guy sitting on his father's lap where they could see in a mirror. And the little guy said, uh, Dad, who made me? And the dad said, God made you, son. Well, who made you? God made me. So, who made my granddad? God made your granddad. And who made great-granddad? God did. Why do you ask? And the boy looked back in the mirror and said, well, it just seems to me he's been doing a better job in recent years. <laughs> God starts at conception to develop a child 
so that within 18 days, a discernible heartbeat is present in that baby. And the third statement explains even more that what is in the womb is from him. So much so, it expresses God's feelings about children who are born with special needs. Number three, even when people are not perfect, God acknowledges the fact that the one in the womb belongs to him. Psalm 127, three, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Children are God's gift. And in the Old Testament days, they were a symbol of strength. This uh, particular psalm goes on to talk about uh, a quiver full of arrows as, as relating to the number of sons. And you needed more kids so they could work the fields. Sons were preferred partly because they just were a little stronger than, than daughters as a rule. But understand this, even if people are not perfect, God acknowledges the fact that the one in the womb belongs to him. You remember what Moses said when God called him to deliver the people, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, it's interesting to me that, that this is the way Moses saw him because Stephen, when he was giving his final sermon <laughs> just before they killed him, spoke of Moses who was powerful in word and deed. You remember that? And I have often, I have not seen that struggled with in Scripture. Moses apparently was not being totally accurate. Maybe he was painting the negative a little larger than life because Stephen didn't have anything to gain by saying that. He just said, Moses, who is X, Y, Z, and he went on with his, with his presentation. But uh, Moses was, was playing that card. Lord, I, I, I can't do it. I'm just not equipped. And the Lord said to him, this is God's answer, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now that sounds like God is manipulating little uh, unformed babies to make them handicapped. What God is doing is answering a lame excuse for not doing the will of God. When babies are born with special needs, less than whole, that is because of Adam and Eve. I started to say when you meet them, you can tell them how you feel about that. But if you go to heaven, I don't think you'll meet them because there's not any indication. They're not on any lists of people of faith or anything like that. We don't know that they ever humbled themselves and turned back to God. Maybe they were so eaten by guilt. Some of us know that that can really separate you from the Lord. It's just like what I did is too awful. And... We, so if they're in heaven, good. I don't want them to go to hell, but I don't. Anyway, wrestle with that. Stay awake tonight and ponder that question. Just remember God's answer. Who gave man his mouth? That's the question. And it's not God's desire that people be born less than perfect. But just understand this, that when they are, it doesn't change him toward them at all. 
what God says in, in number four is what God decides to start. He doesn't give us the liberty to decide when to end. That is a very, very important thing. If God is the creator of this business and he is aware of from conception the development of that child, and you can call it a fetus if you want to. That's a technical term, and it means a baby human, or it means a baby of that species. We're talking about human babies now. So don't get put off by terminology unless someone is lamely trying to cover up some negative fact by refusing to call a baby a baby. Because remember what we said what the Lord said in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We get in Exodus um, 20:13, you shall not murder. And that shows the kind of value God placed on human life. It's not yours to kill. No murder. And this is an interesting thing from the law of Moses and in, in, uh, God's law, of course. Exodus 21. If men are fighting, men who are fighting, hit a pregnant woman, she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we're talking about an unborn child here. Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's the value God places on the unborn. Did you get that? You didn't get that. I don't want to falsely accuse you, but I'm not sure you got that. So, we, we have before us and I, I have some stats that I pulled, and they're old. But uh, by the year 2006, Planned Parenthood Organization had performed 270,000 abortions per year. When their clients were asked why they had an abortion, 50, they, they, were, they gave more than one reason per client. 50% said they didn't want to be a single parent or had problems in current relationships. Two-thirds said they could not afford a child. Three-fourths said it would interfere with their lives. And 95% said for reasons of convenience. That was on the list of reasons why they had an abortion. Now, help me understand where God is in this. Okay? I think it's interesting to know that our former Surgeon General, C. Everett Koop, said that in his 35 years of practicing medicine, he has, quote, never seen one case where abortion was necessary to save a woman's life, end of quote. Of course, he hadn't practiced that long. And he was not widely read, nor aware of what was going on. You understand my sarcasm. If you're new here, please forgive me. I mean, I know this sounds like I'm talking through my head. These, these dear ones put up with this all the time. Um, and I think Ronald Reagan was the one who read in the Washington Post about a young woman named Victoria. She was pregnant and said, 
In this society, we save whales, we save timber wolves, we save bald eagles, we save Coke bottles. Yet everyone wanted me to throw away my baby. And I understand that so many times, perhaps far more than half the time, most of the time, these babies that are in question of whether or not there will be an abortion, uh, those babies were unexpected, unplanned. And we know what causes that, those babies. We know what causes pregnancy. We know what causes conception. And, and of course, the, the poor female gets, and I don't think of you girls as poor, but in this case, you get all the pressure. Sir, do not impregnate someone who is not your wife because you are as responsible for that child as she is. Get the message. If I can say it more clearly, I'll think and see if I can. This pressure comes on the female all the time. But sir, you take responsibility. It's time to step up and be a man. And the way to do that is to control your appetites. And if you're not married to this girl, do not touch her sexually. Girls, hello. Now with all of that understood, I want to make something very clear. If you have had an abortion, please understand that with God, there is forgiveness. Actress Patricia Neal died recently, and it was a known fact as she confessed that abortion of her unborn child in 1950 was the greatest sorrow of her life. She said in her autobiography, if I had only one thing to do over in my life, I would have that baby. Please understand that if you're like her, with God there is forgiveness. We have connection, a uh, very tight connection, with an organization that has a local office. It's called If Not For Grace. And uh, a lot of our people have been involved with that. Uh, Craig and Mindy Byers are members of their board of directors. And there is a testimony that I want to share about this post-abortion business is very, very serious. Would you please play that video? Her name is Rachel. This year she'd be turning 30 years old had I not made the fateful decision to abort her as a freshman in college. I was a long ways from home. I'd gone to Texas A&M um, from my hometown in Michigan. I was in an abusive relationship, and I didn't know what to do. It was a shock to find out I was pregnant, and I was struggling already. I had experienced um, some abuse as a child, and I was really having a hard time going off to college and, and working through those emotions. I became sexually active, and found myself pregnant and it was a difficult decision 
I know I was um, experiencing a lot of denial, and I was so fearful, I couldn't imagine what I was gonna do with a baby. My doctor suggested that I get an abortion, and she made it sound so easy. But she never told me anything about the pain that I was gonna experience. And when I went to the uh, abortion clinic that morning and uh, went through the prep, they put me on a cold stainless steel table and I can still remember how cold it was and, and how terrified I was and my knees were shaking and I had a nurse on each side. And all of a sudden I could hear this voice in my head screaming no. And yet the doctor had already begun and the pain was so intense. I, I could hardly breathe through it. And I just remember thinking, I, I just, you know, I didn't know if I was gonna be able to get through it. And, and then it was over. And they sent me back to a um, recovery room where I quickly fell asleep. And each time that I would begin to wake up, I, 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 I could only think, I remembered what had happened. I can still feel that pain. People don't talk about how hard it is to go through the emotions that you're left with, how empty you feel inside, and the shame that immediately fills that lost, lonely place where that joy of a child should have been. For so many years, I wore that mask. I wore a mask um, hiding the pain and the shame and the guilt and the depression. I tried to look like I had it all together. I tried to present this pretty picture. And on the outside, um, I think my family looked like any other, but we were struggling. And particularly, I was struggling. I came to a place where I, I needed some help. And I started a Bible study and a young, um, a little bit older gal reached out and she began to mentor me. And when I shared my story with her, it was just amazing. She wasn't afraid and, and she didn't um, judge me, but rather she, she showed such compassion and such love and such grace. And that led me to, um, if not for Grace Ministries, this beautiful ministry that serves the, those that are wounded by abortion. And through that, I was invited to a reconciliation weekend. The weekend was so amazing. The men and the women that were there to serve us and to lead us through our journeys to, um, to healing um, were so compassionate and loving and kind, and they spent time really talking to us and asking us about our stories. It was the first time that Scott had truly heard my story from the beginning to the end. It was the first time that I'd ever shared it from the beginning to the end. It was really hard. It was really hard for Scott to hear. And afterwards, he hugged me, and he said, come sit with me a minute, and he just held on to me. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I didn't give you a place to share your story, that I didn't take time to really listen to all that pain you've been bottling up. And uh, 
I was so amazed at how God transferred that pain to Scott. I don't know how he did that, but it was the coolest thing. And uh, he shared in that. And in his eulogy, Scott got up and he said, now she is at the center of our family with her siblings, Kate, Carrie, and Drew, where Rachel ought to be. And that's exactly what happened there, that God brought her back into the center of our family. And I was able to connect with that baby, not just that pregnancy, but with that baby that would have been. And I was able to imagine the child that she would have been and the young woman she would have grown into. And it was so healing to go through those steps. And afterwards, we lit candles. And I had to, um, I've never felt such grief in all my life. And I just remember that grief pouring out of me. And all I could say, all I could say was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And after that, um, Scott and I just rested together. We rested knowing that God had done a mighty work, that He had met me where I needed to be met, that He had taken that pain from my heart, and He um, extended grace and forgiveness, and healing had taken place. It was so beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful gift. That mask has come off. And I am so grateful to be able to live an authentic life, an abundant life that He desires for me and for my family and for my husband and for our marriage. I'm so grateful. I am so blessed, if not for grace. I ask uh, Mindy and Craig to set up a display in the foyer. Now, you may have had an abortion, and if not, you probably know more than one. If they have not talked, if you've had an abortion, or someone you know has not talked to um, Mindy or Craig or someone like that, I would advise you just to make contact and see if, if the Lord doesn't have to use, if not for grace, he can use a lot of ways to heal the awful wounds that were just described. But if that hasn't taken place, get your nerve up and, and move into a place of healing because the Lord, listen, it's easy for us who are prone to guilt to make unpardonable sins out of whatever was our worst sin. That's just the way we do it. Uh, I did that as a teenager. It was really, really dumb, and it was really, really destructive. And the Lord had to heal me. He gave me a special, he gave me a special touch that, that's on that list of stuff. You know, I tell you to, to replay those, those events in your life where God has spoken, where God has healed, where God has blessed. That's on the list. It gets played because God is able to break those chains. Uh, but 
do not stay in bondage or don't let someone, if you have influence over them, stay in bondage. Bring them because sin is sin. And I think the start off of this, of the, talking about abortion is to call it a sin. Let's, if you do that, that's what God forgives. It's when we cover it up, we call it everything but sin. We do not bring it to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we get to deal with it best way we can. But if it's a sin, that's what put Jesus on the cross. And the forgiveness is free. Now, you guys are under control this morning, I can tell. Because you ought to at least be bouncing around in your chair, if not running up and down the aisles. Whatever you awful thing you have done is sin. And that's what God forgives. Get it. It's wonderful. It changes everything. And uh, we, we have to struggle with how can I forgive myself? But that brings us then to this. Here is how God sees you, whom he has created. Number five, he loves what he sees in the womb, although the infant is sinful from the day it's conceived. And that doesn't mean it's the sin that if the, if the baby dies, it goes, it goes to hell. That's not the kind of sinfulness it is. But when it gets a chance to act on its own, it sins. Have you noticed? Um, this unborn child that David recognizes as himself stood before God as a sinner because he had this, this nature from Adam. And uh, Psalm 58, 3 says, even from birth, the wicked go astray from the womb. We, they are wayward and speak lies. And it is so interesting that we all are sinners. Now, those of you who are prone to guilt, it's like, well, who would think they're not? Oh, there are people who, who were told as little kids and their personality accepted this, that they really were always right and it was somebody else's fault. They were always right. And it, it's so interesting to me, in, through the years, on rare occasions, I have, I have felt it necessary to confront somebody about what was sin. And it's a rare person who will say, Oh, no, is that what I did? I'm so sorry. That's so wrong. I hate it. You ever confronted anybody and heard that? <laughs> I, I'm not sure I have. Because in the first place, I'm not the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'm sure I've been out of, out of sync with the Lord on those things. But other times, we are wrong, but we are not going to admit it to anybody. That would just destroy us. If you think you haven't sinned, wow, you are in trouble. We have some therapists that would be able to help you see me and I'll make a referral. Or we may just need to cast the devil out of you. I'm not sure. But sin comes and it just destroys us. And we have deliverance in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is so great that God though we deserve to die, is reaching out to get us and pull us upon his lap and love us. He loves you. Now, the bad news is bad, but the good news is good because of number six. God so loves life, he wants everyone on earth 
to live with him. He loves you coming into this earth. And he wants you to be with in, in his world forever. We read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sinners from, from before we're born, we deserve to die because we actually committed our own sins. But Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, God's perfect son came into the world, took your sin, took my sin, placed those sins on himself and died. Please remember, please remember when anti-Semites start hollering about the Jews killed Jesus. Well, of course, that's right. They did. But they could also be hollering about Romans killing Jesus because they did. Uh, we in our sins killed Jesus. But the first thing, priority is God offered his own son. God offered his own son because he so loved you. So all of us are sinners. Of course the Jews are sinful. If you're an anti-Semite, you are really, really weird or ignorant of the scripture or both. And uh, let me take back the really, really weird because... That was just my little temper tantrum. But you are ignorant of the scriptures because the scripture does not allow for that. And, but we're all, you know, you should be anti-human because we're the ones that put Jesus to death except that it was God Almighty after we sinned. And Jesus said it like this, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I, I, I want to talk for a minute about those of you who have experienced either abortion or uh, a miscarriage. Um, there's more than one person in this room that has, that has had a full-term child-born, stillborn. And I cannot imagine the pain. I, I, it just is beyond my comprehension how that affects your life. Uh, you had a child die. If, even if you're old. I was speaking to. Um, John Cooley Sr. A week ago today. And. I was just asking him how he's doing. Because you may remember that his son. Who was in his 40s. Died suddenly recently. And I heard myself saying, you know, we're not supposed to bury our kids. And even though this kid was in his 40s, that is, that is so horrid as an experience. And he, he's a man of God and such a, a great guy and is receiving the comfort of the Lord and the help of the Lord. But if, if you've had such a loss... God loves you, cares about you. And one of the really fun things that has come out of these books that have been written by people who died, went to heaven, and then had to come back and wrote a book about it is that they speak about these, these little tiny people, the immature spirits, probably representing the uh, this miscarriages and the abortions. 
And then there are, there are those that uh, are very, very young. Now, many of you read the story of the little guy, the name of whose book was Heaven is for Real. And his mother had had a miscarriage. Uh, it, it was not even, I think it was in the first trimester that the, her, her baby died. And uh, they had never told this little guy. He was born later. He had no clue whatsoever. And he met this little kid in heaven that was his little sister. Would have been big sister, but a little sister because he was larger than that. And she was unnamed because they had not yet named that baby. Now that just comforts me every which way. I love it that even those babies that we lose and it breaks our heart are in such great shape. We should all be in such great shape. Isn't that wonderful? You find, you find the loving father, you know, that sort of fits with one that so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That sort of fits. And so the father has loved us and has helped us and if you, have, if you have that kind of pain in your background, I just want you to know that God cares. If it were an abortion, if it were a spontaneous abortion, abortion is, a, is a sort of medical term. I, I shouldn't mess with medical terms. I know the scripture better than I do medicine. And that's a good thing. And... The, the business of God taking care of all of that involves his taking care of your heart. Your heart. He intends for you to be healed. He intends for you to be alive, fully alive in the spirit and not carrying this thing that hurts and, and pushes you down and makes your life difficult. So, what he's asking is that we come to him as sinners we come as sinners if you are not walking with the Lord then you are a you are one of those special kinds of sinners that has not yet received the forgiveness of the Lord and and uh, don't look to God for all that much comfort because that comes with to his kids and you are only his kid by means of creation not by means of redemption or adoption So I want you to come to the Lord today. I want you to, to receive that which the Lord gives. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you right now to come upon this congregation and, and those that are not walking with you.